fellas. This is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Live in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good morning. Connor has play-by-play duties. My name is Jesse Rogers, sitting in for Connor, who will be along during this show in just a bit. I'll be here for the next two hours before pregame. Connor will have the pregame as well as the play-by-play. So we gave him White Sox Weekly off doing some musical chairs today. I was supposed to join Connor on White Sox Weekly, but now he's got play-by-play duties, so he's going to join me. Again, my name Jesse Rogers. Good to be with you on this Saturday morning, especially after a White Sox win last night. Phone lines are open as always, 312-332-3776 is the number if you want to jump on. If you didn't get a chance to join Connor on the postgame show last night, here's your chance to sound off, but sound off probably in a good way. I mean, what we saw last night was a magnificent pitching performance by Michael Kopech, who went eight shutout innings. Gave up a lone single, which was erased by a double play. He faced the minimum. The White Sox faced the minimum. And they beat the Kansas City Royals 2-0. One of those old school games. Five hits for the White Sox. Just one hit. A one-hitter for Michael Kopech. He was perfect through about halfway, halfway through the game. But gave up that lone single. And the White Sox came away with one of their best victories of the season. Again, my name Jesse Rogers. This is White Sox Weekly. 312-332-3776 is the number if you want to jump on. Talk about that game last night and Michael's magnificent performance, which we can credit to him having kids. Why? Well, let's give a listen to Michael Kopech with Jason Benetti and Steve Stone last night after the game. I mean, it's a special one for for many reasons. You know, I've, I've had a I've had a rough start to the year, so this definitely helps me feel like I'm getting back on track. Um, but also, um, I, what a standout start for me last year was around the same time, um, and that was because uh, my son was born a year ago tomorrow. Um, so I feel like uh, you know I, I was able to kind of refocus on things that are important to me, and uh, you know that. That's this game. That's my family, um, and not not let get not let things get in the way. Um, you know, I, I, my last start, my last couple starts, I've been kind of getting uh, wound up, and you know, a lot of walks here and there. So um, I, I feel like just kind of settling back in and getting back to what I do is where I'm at right now. So I was comfortable with that one. Michael, was there anything that told you in the bullpen before the game that you were going to carry wonderful stuff into the ball game? Uh, I mean, Steve, you know how those pregame pins are. So, uh, I, I felt really good in pregame pins, and I've thrown horribly, and I've had really bad pregame pins and thrown great. Uh, today actually was a pretty good one, so I was holding my breath. But uh, I, I think I was able to kind of carry that out there today. Michael, you talk about being a dad, and I see how important it is to you as you talk about it. Why is being a dad so important to you? Um, it, it's a separator for this game. Uh, you know, I... I love coming to the ballpark and, you know, competing with my teammates. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, there's something to go home to that's much bigger than all of this. And that's that's my fiance, That's my children. Um, and to, to be able to have that and also be fortunate enough to play this game for a living, um, you know, I, I'm very blessed. 
Michael, remember one thing from this performance. It looked from up here like you were peaceful out on the mound tonight, that you had every emotion in your body under control from the beginning. You replicate that on a game-by-game basis, and you're going to be just fine. Yeah, I appreciate that, Steve. Uh, last thing. Uh, do you like when people talk to you during games like this? What was the process like as you were mowing down batters? Uh, I, I tried to keep it as normal and as light as possible. So, you know, we, you know, from from the first inning on, uh, Sebby and I were talking about game plan between innings, and we, we continued that all the way through. So, um, you know, we don't want to make anything feel weird or uncomfortable like that. Um, so for, for the most part, it felt like a normal game. You know, a hard-fought game, 2-0, so, uh, yeah. Happy birthday, Michael Kopech's kid. I don't know if, <laughs> what his name is or what the scenario is, but the fact that his birthday's today, that helped him focus last night, apparently, according to that interview. So have more kids, Michael Kopech, and pitch more like that. He admitted to a rough start to this season. The whole starting staff, the whole pitching staff has had a rough start to the season, but lately it's been better. Lately it's been better, and yeah, the record's bad, but they're seven and a half out of first. Not insurmountable. Not insurmountable. Obviously, three teams above them. A little bit easier to make up seven and a half if you're in second place rather than fourth. But the point is, mathematically, it's not impossible. Where most years at seventeen and twenty-nine, you would feel like it is impossible. Now, FanGraphs gives them a four percent chance of making the playoffs, which ironic not ironically, but weirdly, is higher than the Detroit Tigers, who are twenty and twenty-two. They have like a three and a half point, three and a half percent chance of making the playoffs, according to FanGraphs. The White Sox have a four percent chance. They're twelve under compared to the Tigers, two under. I mean, all that stuff doesn't mean a lot, right? It just doesn't, um, and we're. Far from talking about the White Sox getting back in the race, it's very doubtful uh, just because of history, but it's not insurmountable based on this division. We know that. The, the, the leader in the division, the Minnesota Twins, 24 and 21. Detroit's in second at 20 and 22. The Guardians are third, 20 and 24. The White Sox, 17 and 29. And Kansas City in last at 14 and 32. And yes, you can pile the two divisions on top of each other, meaning the AL East and AL Central. You can put them on top of each other because the fifth-place team in the AL East would be the first-place team in the AL Central. So it just goes 1 through 10, Tampa, Baltimore, Yankees, Boston, Toronto, down to Minnesota, Detroit, Cleveland, White Sox, and then Kansas City. It's incredible uh, what's going on in those two divisions in particular. The AL East is amazing. Toronto in last place, tied with Boston at 25-20. and 20 with the AL Central leader, the Minnesota Twins, at 24-21. and 21. But you know what? We're far from needing to even look at the standings. The Sox just need to get back in it. And that's my first question of the day. 312-332-3776. The Sox can get back in it if. Fill in the blank. The Sox can get back in it if. And I am going to steal your thunder right off the bat. And I'm go- also going to rate your answer. I'm going to rate your answer. One through five. Five being the best, one being the worst. And yes, I am the judge and jury on this one. I'm going to rate your answer. The Sox can get back in it if. And when I say in it, I just mean in the division. Right? I'm not expecting a 90-win season. Sox can get back in it if. Fill in the blank. So we're already making the assumption they can get back in it, which is a long shot. But how can they do it? And I'm going to steal your thunder. I'm going to take the best answer. This is a five. I can judge myself, and I give it a five. 
if the starting rotation continues on what they've done the last week. It's as simple as this <laughs> and as hard as this because it's not easy to get five guys to just keep going and going and going. The great teams do it. But the White Sox last five games have produced a two ERA out of their rotation. They've walked seven batters in 45 innings. Just go to MLB.com, click on the last seven days, and that's what you get. I'm sorry, that's their entire uh, staff, not just their rotation. Two ERA, seven walks in 45 innings. That's their entire rota- uh, entire pitching staff. Now, to drill down, it's the starting staff that really has to carry the day, right? The bullpen is throwing a couple, three innings a night. Last night, just one inning. It's the starting staff that has to do it. If they stop walking the house, which they were doing, and continue on what they've done the last week, that's where the Sox get back in it. Seven walks and 45 innings pitched for this staff. This staff produced the only whip, which is walks plus hits divided by innings pitched, under one for the week. .87 because they walked only seven batters in 45 innings. So there you go. I'll get even more specific. The White Sox can get back in it if the staff stops walking people like they've done the last week. Five games, they've walked a total of seven batters. Kopech didn't walk anyone last night. He went eight innings, gave up one hit, ten strikeouts, arguably his best game of his career. The fastball had life, had late zip on it, right? Threw in, threw in a bunch of sliders. A few change-ups, but this was all about his fastball. This was all about his fastball. The starting staff has been better. The entire pitching staff has been better. We know what Joe Kelly's done out of the bullpen. Kendall Graveman had a nice clean inning last night. Lance Lynn had his good outing. It just simply has to continue. It has to continue. But here's the thing, and here's the thing. Again, I'm looking at the glass being half full. I'm trying to find the positive here. Here's the thing. At least when Lynn throws the game that he did and Michael Kopech throws the game that he did, they remind us that it's possible they can do it. Because until now, I wasn't sure, right, if Lance Lynn had anything left in the tank. I mean, he had not had anything close to the game that he pitched the other day. And Michael Kopech, we know, has talent, but hadn't thrown anything close to this game. So it reminds us they have it in them, but they have to do it turn after turn after turn to get back in this thing. I know we always take parts of the schedule and say it's critical, but I I think you'd agree with me. This stretch against in the division games is the way for them to get back in the division race. Because once you get to June, it gets back to a tougher schedule, right? I I think we could agree the Sox probably aren't good enough to run through the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Mariners and the Rangers and the Red Sox and the Angels on the road, which, which they play all those teams in June. The, it, it, I, they can go 500 to go against those teams, but going 500 from here on out isn't going to help them. They need to go well over 500, and this is the time to do it. Two out of three against the Guardians. Now you try to get two out of three or better against Kansas City, and then it's on the road against the division. It's it's still not easy. Still not easy. But if they play like they have this week, and and uh, you know basically since the ten game losing streak, other other than the three or four in Kansas City, I mean that was bad. But you know they have shown some signs. At least that's the case. So the the White Sox can get back in the race if fill in the blank. 
fill in the blank. Now, the lineup is out today, Sox and Royals game two, but there's been a change. They, they put out an initial lineup where Gavin Sheets was in it. Now, Gavin Sheets is no longer in it. Tim Anderson leads off, Benatendi's in left, Robert in center, Moncada at third, Vaughn is at first, Berger's DHing. He'll join us on this show in about 20 minutes. Jake Berger, I mean, that guy's the life of the party for the White Sox these days. He'll join us. Hanser Alberto is at second. Hazley gets a start in right field. Sebi Savala is doing the catching for the second day in a row. Um, so it, it's Hazley in for Sheets who was scheduled to play in right field. So before everyone calls up and starts screaming that Sheets isn't in the game like they did a couple days ago, I kind of made fun of those calls yesterday on Waddle and Sylvie's show. Um, Sheets, who has four at-bats against lefties all year and has done nothing against lefties in his career, was on the bench a couple days ago, and apparently a lot of people thought that was the reason the Sox lost the game against the Guardians. Anyway, he was supposed to be in there today, he is no longer in there, and um, uh, uh, Grandel gets a, a second day off in a row as well. We'll talk to Jake Berger. We'll talk to Connor McKnight. We'll talk to James Fegan from The Athletic right here on White Sox Weekly, all between now and 1230 when the pregame show comes your way. Game two, Sox and Royals. Lucas Giolito on the mound against Jordan Lyles. Lyles is 0-7. This is a very, very winnable game. We know that Giolito's pitching well, but he has more in the tank. He has more in the tank. So coming off of last night, you want to see if maybe this thing's contagious. That was a question that was asked to Pedro Grafal before the game. You know, we like to use that word when it comes to offense and pitching, you know, uh, contagious, things like that. I don't know if it is, to be honest. I, I really don't. I mean, if, if, if starting pitching was contagious, why didn't Dylan Cease rub off on anybody last year, right? If if hitting is contagious, why hasn't Luis Robert really rubbed off on anybody else besides maybe Jake Berger this month, right? I mean, you get guys that are hot and you get guys that that are cold. I guess if a, it, it, I guess if a few guys are hot at the same time, it can relax the whole team and that can lead to some other guys getting hot. But I've never really believed in the whole uh, contagious thing. That's just my opinion. Anyway, want to get your thoughts on all this? Three one two three three two three seven seven six. The White Sox can get back in the division race if you fill in the rest. Jesse Rogers here on White Sox Weekly, right here on the White Sox Radio Network. Get weird with Waddle's World on ESPN Chicago. Bring your family to a White Sox game with a family pack presented by Exide Mobile. Your family will get one ticket, hot dog, drink, and chips to select games starting at $19 per ticket. Plus, with every purchase, you have a chance to win mobile gasoline for a year. Jesse Rogers back with you on White Sox Weekly. For tickets, by the way, visit WhiteSox.com slash family. Sitting in for Connor McKnight, who will have the play-by-play today in a couple hours. And he joins me uh, to preview the game and, and go through last night. Connor, how are you doing, pal? Jesse, always a privilege and an honor, sir. Not enough people tell you how uh, how good a guy you are, how handsome you are, and how good you are at your job. I'll tell you that much. Well, the, the second part, for sure, they don't tell me. They do not yeah. tell me the handsome part. There's definitely right. – well, actually, they don't tell me any of those things. So, anyway, uh, good to be with you. I, I, I throw those compliments right back at you. Let's get right to it. You've been doing White Sox pre and post and play-by-play for a few years now. I, I know you can't really rank it one through five or whatever, but where, where would you put Kopech in, you know, the team photo of, of, of starts you've seen uh, since, since taking over the job, really? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, you know, thinking back through it, I was on the phone with my brother on the way into the ballpark today, and I, I guess I realized that 
I don't think, Jesse, I've ever seen a 27, 20, 20, 27 up, 27 down game. Even Carlos Rodon's no-hitter, where he hit Roberto Perez in the, in the pinkiest of toes, uh, there was one extra base runner. That's, that's as good as I've seen. You know, we, we saw Dylan work that near no-hitter against the Twins, where he was absolutely dominant. Lucas has had his stretches, but I put Kopech right up there in the team photo. What was most impressive to me for Kopech, and this is, this is not a knock. It's going to sound like it a little bit, but it is not. He was mostly a two-pitch guy fastball and slider and he did throw a curve and he did have a change but it is mostly two pitches and with Kopech that fastball is so 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 good when it's on he got in zone swings and misses on fastballs against big league hitters and that's just not something you can see a guy do with that kind of regularity I think the called strike and whip percentage Jesse last night was 42 percent and a lot of that stuff with the heater I, I I remember talking with, with Michael on White Sox Weekly shortly after that real dominant start he had against the Yankees last year. And we talked about his fastball a lot. We talked about just how good it is. We, I, I asked him if he feels like when it's totally on that he can throw it and get it by anybody. And he kind of chuckled and said, well, not anybody. But, yeah, I feel good about it. And it's, that's just kind of that pitch for him. That's why I think this organization, that's why a lot of us, you know, we'll watch this game with a slightly different view. Really can't give up on him as a, as a starter by any stretch because that's in there, and there's so much more growth for him when he develops. And I think he will, that slider and, that, and whatever tertiary pitch, whatever third pitch he wants to, you know, put into that arsenal, whatever works best. That's, that's about as good as I've seen it. No doubt. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, the really good pitchers in Major League Baseball can get guys to chase, right? That, 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 that we all know. The great, great pitchers can get guys out in the zone, uh, especially with a fastball, because that's, you know, should be the easiest pitch in some sense to hit. If you're a good big league hitter, you can hit 98, but it, there's, there's different kinds of 98. There's 98 straight, and then there's 98 with zip and 98 with movement. He had that zip last night, and you don't need to be a pitching coach or baseball expert to see it and sort of feel it if you're at the ballpark. There's a little zip, um, you know, at the end, a little boom, you know, that you, you, it's just a different sound when it hits the glove and, he had it last night. Of course, you got to mix in some off-speed, but he didn't need to do much. A few sliders, uh, very few change-ups, and I think you're right. This is the tease that you get out of a guy like him where you say the ability is um, up there with you know, almost anybody in the game. But it doesn't mean he's as good as anyone in the game, certainly not yet. So maybe it's a, a sign of things to come. Um, you know, He said he missed the, the spot on the, on the base hit to Massey, but he missed it. Uh, good enough that that I, it was a it was a good piece of hitting more than a bad pitch. He did, he didn't miss it in the zone. He missed it out of the zone. So I give Massey more credit than 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 taking anything away from the Kopech pitch. Oh no doubt, and you got to remember too. You know Massey. You look at the season long numbers for Michael Massey. It was a really bad April, but he's hitting three seventeen with a with a four something on base here in the month of May. Like he, he's been really good for the Royals down there in the bottom third of their order in this month. And I, I think there's a lot of people who would tell you he's a you know, he's above average for sure and, and good with bat to ball. The other thing, too, Jesse, and, and Kopech mentioned it. You mentioned it here, and I think this is something we've been talking about with Michael a little while. And DJ talked about this, too. When you miss, miss to your advantage, don't miss to the hitter's advantage. And when Michael's given up, you know, five home runs in a ball game, four home runs in a ball game against the Reds, 
he's missed in the middle of the strike zone. And he's missed you know, that that makes a pitch fat, you know. And when you're missing off the edges, when you're pushing or, or pulling that pitch, regard depending on you know what side of the plate you're throwing to, that pitch toward the outside portion of the strike zone, away from the barrel of the bat, that's going to result in a ball that just barely gets over Andrew Vaughn, leaping at first base. Could have really been something special last night. Uh, if not for, I don't know, Andrew Vaughn being eight inches taller, perhaps. Yeah, that's, that's really what this comes down to. When you're missing toward the middle of the strike zone, that ball's jumping out of especially the smaller ballparks in this league, and that's where Michael has, has run into so many problems. It's, it's truly been the home run ball. Yeah, the walks have been have been tough, and they've forced him out of outings or out, out, of, out of starts a little sooner than you'd like, um, but it is the home run that, that's gotten him into you know the, the majority of the trouble. He's got the stuff to work around walks. And certainly, you'd like to decrease both those totals uh, at the same time. But if you're going to I, listen, if you're going to be able to decrease one rather than the other, I, I'd rather drop the home run total, given what Michael's working with right now, by working toward the edges of the strike zone and see if he can get guys to chase and get through outings that way. Yeah, before I let you go, I mean, just you mentioned a couple of his outings. I mean, just think back to the Reds outing and the first outing of the year against the Giants and and the pitcher last night. It's like two different people. I mean, the stuff was just so much better and the mindset. And I played his his comments after the game. He he kind of said, look, it's my kid's birthday today. That kind of focused me in, calmed me down. I don't I don't know. I told I said on the have more kids, whatever it takes, Michael, just just. (laughs) And I like what Steve Stone, that calm feeling you felt on the mound, take that with you four days, five, five days from now. And, uh, you know, it, it really does feel like it's something between his ears more than anything in his arm for him to, to achieve greatness in this league. I, I think you'd probably agree with that, right, Connor? I, yeah, I, I think that absolutely could be true. And I think there's something about, you know, we talked about this to Jesse, I think, a couple weeks ago. There's a basketball element to baseball sometimes. You know, shooters just kind of, when you're in a slump, you just kind of need to see one go in, and then you kind of, then oh yeah, I remember now. Okay, I see how this works, and I think to a certain degree, pitching can be like that. You can and Pedro's talked about this too. Get aggressive in the strike zone. Sometimes we, the royal we, not the royals we, but the royal we, mm-hmm. give too much credit to, to hitters. Like hitting's really hard. <laughs> it's really difficult. So throw the good stuff over the middle. Let it work and see what happens. I think there's an element of that, too, to what Kopech can bring, because that's a, man, if I've ever seen one, that is a challenge fastball. So let it eat, see it work toward the edge of the strike zone, and let these Royals hitters, you know, you saw one go in against the team, against an offense that's not all that great. See if you can take that kind of outing against a team that's got a better one through nine. Yeah, I get it. It's easier said than done because, you know, you could say get aggressive in the strike zone. All of a sudden you're giving up five home runs, you're giving up four home runs, and then you follow that up with dibbling and you give up six walks. You know, it's such a True. mind, mind you know what, uh, when you're on the mound <laughs> uh, or at the plate for that matter. Connor, we'll let you go. Uh, Jake Berger's expected to call in, so I'm the lucky one that gets to talk to him. You get to talk to Darren Jackson in a couple hours. Enjoy the game today. We'll talk to you soon, pal. I think everybody in that conversation is pretty lucky. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> you got it, Connor. That's kind of nice. He's got the play-by-play duties with Darren Jackson. Let's pause 10 seconds for Station ID. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio. This is WMVP WSHEHD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station.
All right, I am promising you a Jake Berger interview shortly. Um, why don't we get rid of a break and come back, and uh, hopefully he will be on the call. But uh, before we do that, i got to read something for you. A White Sox 10-game ticket plan gives you the ultimate flexibility. Pick games based on your schedule and your budget. Don't miss any of the action in 2023. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash ticket plans or call 312-674-1000. Jake Berger. Soon he's fielding balls, hitting balls at uh, BP, all that jazz. So we'll get to him in a, in a few minutes. Also, fill in the blank. The Saskia back in the division race if you fill in the rest. Jesse Rogers here on White Sox Weekly on the White Sox Radio Network. Berger, high and deep to left. It is way out of here. Another swing, another home run. It's 4-1. to one. One of his 10 home runs this year. That's right. Jake Berger has 10 home runs in 96 plate appearance, 86 at-bats. Amazing rate, home run rate for Jake Berger. Jesse Rogers back with you on White Sox Weekly. Let's go down to the clubhouse where the third base slash DH is standing by. It's the one and only, the man that looks like he's having the most fun on this team right now. It's Jake Berger. Jake, good morning. How you doing, pal? Jesse, how's it going? Good, good to be with you. I'm, I, thanks, thanks for joining us on White Sox Weekly. You've been on such a tear. We had to get you back on the show. Ten home runs in, like I said, eighty-six at bats. Uh, describe the feeling and tell me why it's happening. Did you just lock in after coming back from an injury? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's uh, <laughs> there's no words to describe how I'm feeling. You know, I mean, it obviously feels good, and I want to uh, help the team any way I can to win. And um, you know, that's my my first thought. And uh, you know, I think the reason why it's happening is, uh, you know, I, I think I'm just controlling myself, controlling my emotions in the box and not trying to do too much. Uh, you know, I feel like I've always hit the ball hard. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think over uh, the last three years, uh, big situation, uh, I try and do too much. And, you know, I, I end up uh, with a, a worse result than, uh, you know, just kind of controlling it and uh, staying in the moment rather than uh, thinking about what possibly could happen. It's funny because I, I, I truly believe that's what Michael Kopech did last night. He just kind of controlled his emotions and stayed in the moment. Mm-hmm. Talk about watching that performance. You don't see many of those throughout the course of a Major League Baseball season. They happen once in a while. That was quite something to, to view. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. You know, he's he's all, always awesome to play behind uh, when I'm playing third base. And, uh, you know, he just brings this energy to the mound. And last night, you know, he channeled that so well. And, um, you know, he just – attacked the zone and, uh, you know, said, hey, like, if you're going to beat me, it's going to be a pitch in the zone and, um, you know, have at it. And, uh, you know, he, he really controlled it. It was, it was super special. And I'm always fired up for uh, Mike because we uh, we rehabbed together during uh, his uh, Tommy John and my Achilles. So uh, we got close down there. No doubt. Everybody knows your story uh, coming back from, from several – leg injuries like that and, and performing the way you are. But let's talk about coming back from the latest one. It was like a minor oblique thing, right? I mean, it had to be minor because obliques can last weeks and weeks and months sometimes. I, I'm curious, um, did, when you came back, were you just – it was as if you were never injured, like you were 100% healed because I feel like that's the only way you can come back swinging the way you are. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was fortunate with how, how fast uh, it turned around, you know, after the first – first day when it happened uh, I was nervous because you hear about obliques all the time you never know how long 
uh, they're going to last. And I, I was fortunate that it turned around pretty quick and uh, got back to my normal self. Went on a rehab stint. Um, had had good games down there. You know, we uh, played two in uh, DH1, played third one. And, uh, the day I played third base, there were about 45 minutes between my at-bats each time, it felt like. So uh, you know, it, it let it cool down and see how it would feel if uh, I was playing the field for, for a long time. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, was really fortunate with how quick it turned around. Visiting with Jake Berger right here on White Sox Weekly, Jesse Rogers with you. All right, I mentioned at the top when you came on, you seem to be having the most fun on the team. I, I don't know that for sure, but at least publicly it looks that way. Uh, am I close at least? I mean, tell me how you're feeling. I don't mean to compare you to anyone else, but I, I just there's a smile every time you're on the, on the field, it seems like. Yeah, baseball's supposed to be fun, and uh, that's what – I'm always going to do is just to have as much fun as I can because it's easy for this to turn into a job when it's really a game. Um, and, you know, I, I view it as a game and I'm fortunate to be playing it and fortunate uh, through my story to be able to uh, be out there every single day and doing what I love. So uh, I always just try and have a smile on my face, have as much fun as I can. And, uh, you know, I, I, everybody's having fun. So I, I can't say that I'm having the most fun, but uh, definitely up there. Uh, everyone knows this home run celebration with the, with the jacket and the hat. Why do I think that you wear that home every night? I just feel like that fits you so perfectly. <laughs> I mean, your wife, other people must say the same. I, I'm guessing. Yeah, my, my wife thinks I look like the Hamburglar. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wish I could take it home and, and wear it. It's definitely my style, but, uh, you know, it stays here. And uh, I, throughout the year, obviously, it's going to be shared uh, amongst all of our teammates. Now, i got to be honest, when you tripled the other day, I just assumed, even though I've watched most of your games, I just assumed that was your first career triple. But you've actually had a triple each year you've been in the big leagues, yep. right? One, one in each year. Um, and then you gave what was the – you gave the eye – what's that signal when you look in the dugout like that? What's all that about? Um, so we do the check mark. You know, you're checking a box. And then yeah. uh, I go to the eye, um, and that's uh, for the eye pitch. Uh, it's the, the machine we're using. And, uh, ah, you know that's kind of like our inside joke with the uh, with the eye pitch, and um, we we have like a little crew. Everybody's using it, but uh, there's we have the lab rats. Uh, it's Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, uh, and myself, and then uh, Chris Johnson kind of feeds the machine for us. So um, that's kind of our like inside joke, uh, little little sure. post hit celebration. That's awesome. Uh, visiting here with Jake Berger on White Sox Weekly. So tell me about triples. You've had three of them. When do you decide you're going for third? I mean, how does it work for for a guy like you that's probably not going to hit a ton of them? It's easy to pull up at second, but what? what give me the thought process in the moment. Yeah, I'm going to play the game as hard as I can, no matter what. Um, and when I know a ball's not going out of the yard, I'm I'm going to be uh, hustling out of the box as fast as I can. And um, you know, I, I came out of the box hustling hard. Uh, I was thinking two, maybe three, and then I saw the ball kick. Uh, off the fence a weird way and once I saw that kick I'm like I, I got three in the bag here so um, you know just stay the course it's really hard to go from um, you know a slower start where you know it's going to be a coast and double uh, to get and going to go to three you know it puts yourself at risk of, of injury and stuff with your hamstring so I've always been under the impression that it's easier to slow up than uh, get going halfway through the run so uh, I'm going to Bust, bust my butt getting out of the box, and, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. And uh, once once I felt the the opportunity was there to take three, I was uh, already at full speed. Yeah, that's interesting. So go hard 
all the way. Once you start slowing down, you stop at second kind of thing, kind of thing. Like to, to slow and then start up again, that's where you cause problems. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of plays that you see where guys, you know, go from slow to fast and, um, you know, they end up tweaking something. So um, that's, that's kind of my thought process always. All right, Jake. So now we got to get serious. Seventeen and twenty-nine. I know you weren't there the whole time. Uh, you know, there, there were some you know, the ten-game losing streak and things like that. It does feel a little bit better. Um, I don't know if you guys look at the standings. Uh, you, you tell me if you do. But but it, may, do you ignore the record and just look at okay, seven and a half out of first is not insurmountable, even though seventeen and twenty-nine doesn't look pretty on paper. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to look. Uh at the day you're, you're about to conquer, um, you know, you just take it day by day, pitch by pitch, um, and go from there. And, um, you know, obviously this, this week, uh, with the Cleveland series and then, uh, Kansas city, and then we go, uh, to Cleveland and to Detroit are are pivotal for us, you know, a lot of, a lot of division games in a row. And, um, you know, we feel, uh, we can win, um, all those, all those series and, um, you know, just, keep going day by day you know you can't can't look too far into the future you gotta you gotta look at right now and uh you know not not try and look at the 116 or whatever left you, you just have to take take in the day and uh go from there hey i want to ask you about playing third and DHing. this allows you and Mankata to play at the same time when you're obviously both healthy and everything um is, is that something i mean you come up through your career you're playing probably the you know, you're probably pitching i don't know what you did in high school and you know little league but you know you're the best player on your team you're, you're probably not DHing much and then you get to a point where sometimes you have to dh is is there an adjustment does it impact your hitting when you're only DHing? tell me about that transition fielding as opposed to DHing. yeah obviously you're not in every play um you, you get however many half innings off um of you know, uh, kind of, kind of evaluating your at bats and whatnot. Um, it's easy to kind of get lost and looking at mechanics and stuff um, when you do have that downtime, um, as opposed to where you're playing defense. You got to be present there, and then you know you roll into an at bat. But um, you know, I enjoy it. I, I did it a couple times last year, um, and you know, I've, I've always kind of enjoyed DHing, especially. Uh, you know, here and um, now that we have it on the road, we have the eye pitch to work on. Um, and, you know, you can kind of face any any pitcher and, uh, you know, you get to work and keep your body loose. So, um, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, it's it, it's one of those things that's definitely hard to conquer, but as long as you have a good routine and, um, you know, you, you stay locked in rather than uh, getting too lax, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I think it's like any other uh, position out there. Last thing for you, Jake. I know you got to get ready for a game. All right, are you? I mentioned like looking at the standings, but are you a guy that knows your stats? Do you know? Do you go to MLB, ESPN, uh, Baseball Reference? Do you know your stats daily? Not really. No, no, I don't. Uh, don't really look at it. I think my uh, my dad and my wife are the the two uh, stat nerds with it. But uh, <laughs> you know, for me, it's I, uh, it's an at bat, at bat, and at bat, and at bat. Yeah, you know, I kind of sure. at one at a time. Do you not want to know them? Do you not look at them when they flash them on the scoreboard? Or is it impossible not to know them? At least it's, it's, the kind of, it's kind of impossible not to not to see them. Um, and, you know, uh, you see them, but you, you try not to take too much stock into it. Um, you know, sometimes the tidbits on the board, um, whether it be like exit velocity or whatnot, are, are fun to fun to look at and think about. But uh, other than that, I don't really try and look into it too much. 
All right. Well, then I don't mind telling you a thousand OPS is pretty good and you're over that. So keep that up. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the goal. My, uh, my wife always tells me she wants it to stay over a thousand throughout the entire year. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Well, they'll be giving you a trophy if that, if that happens, they will be giving <laughs> exactly. you a trophy. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I like those lofty expectations by your wife. Um, and I'm sure you have them for yourself as well. Jake, thank you. Keep this going. The Sox need a bunch of wins. I know it's only one at a time though. Thanks for your time today. Yep, thank you. You got it. That's Jake Berger, White Sox third baseman and DH. If you want to react to anything he had to say, feel free. 312-332-3776 is the number. Jesse Rogers with you on White Sox Weekly. Let me get to another read here, and then we will take a break. Sox fans, head to the ballpark on June 3rd as the White Sox take on the Detroit Tigers at 110. The first 10,000 fans, 21 and older, will receive a White Sox bucket hat presented by Lining Kugels. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos we'll continue on with white Sox weekly about another hour and 15 minutes left in the show before we uh hand it off to the pregame show james fegan's going to join me we've already heard from jake berger and Connor mcknight who's got the play-by-play and of course we want to take your phone calls at 312-332-3776 starting back up with that question the white Sox can can get back in the division race if what you fill in the blank back in a moment on the white Sox radio network Always fun to watch batting practice. Well, now you can. Don't miss your chance for an exclusive pregame experience to watch the White Sox and visiting team take early BP. This offer is only available for three select games. May 29th versus the Angels, June 21st versus the Rangers, and July 5th versus the Blue Jays. To purchase, visit WhiteSox.com slash BP. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Jesse Rogers filling in for Connor McKnight. He'll be back for the play-by-play. Jeff Miller has the pregame show in about an hour and 10 minutes. White Sox and Royals, game two of their series. Jordan Lyles, who's 0-7 against Lucas Giolito, who's pitched well enough, right? He's been good, 2-3 and three on the season. Well enough to keep them in the game most of the time so far for, for him. So you like to see the White Sox score a bunch of runs off of Jordan Lyle, who's kind of a journeyman type of guy, right? So here's a chance to win the series right off the bat. And uh, continue on from there. White Sox 17 and 29. And uh, our seven and a half game out of first place. Minnesota Twins continue to lead division at 24 and 21. 312 332 3776. If you want to chime in on anything you heard from Jake Berger or if you want to answer or fill in my question, you know, the White Sox can get back in the division race if fill in the blank there. What needs to happen? I mentioned just continue to zero in on the pitching staff and, and not walking guys, not walking guys. Their stuff is good enough to win games. Don't give up so many free passes. And that's what they've done over the last week. Seven walks in 45 innings, make the other team earn it. I think if they do that, that's the way back. That's it's not the offense. The offense is going to be spotty. It's a little bit redundant. It's a little bit, you know, all or nothing kind of stuff. Like it's not, you, no no team really gets back into a race because of their offense, because it's hard to be great offensively for weeks on end. It's it's a little bit easier to get five guys, easier compared to offense, I should say, not easy, but easier compared to getting the, it's easier to get five guys kind of rolling, five guys that are your five best pitchers by definition, who most of them make a lot of money. So here we go. Lynn's had a good outing. Kopech had a good outing. Cease is, is getting there. It's get, he's getting back to the old Cease. Giolito is sort of getting there. 
That's the way back to respectability here. And the boost that Garrett Crochet could give, we saw him finally return, and potentially Liam Hendricks, that could continue to lock down the back end of the pitching staff. Speaking of Hendricks, I watched his live BP yesterday. Um, Ethan Katz spoke on it. So did Pedro Grafal. It looked good to me, but I'm no expert. He was cursing up a storm, but that just, I mean, it, that could be good or bad. Not sure. He didn't speak to reporters. I think he wants to wait until he's a little bit closer. They're not ready to activate him. So let's, let's, get, the, let's get the whole feel of this thing from Ethan Katz yesterday talking about Liam Hendricks. He's building up. Um, it's kind of like his spring training. We're just kind of getting eyes on him and getting him ramped up and, and kind of seeing where everything goes. It's something where, you know, you don't want to rush it. It's, it's a situation that nobody um, has much experience with, with what he dealt with, and we just want to make sure that we do the right thing by him and himself, like, take care of him and, and get him on, on track when he's ready. We saw some nice adjustments that we, we talked to him about, um, and we're gathering more information. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a positive day. I mean, it's day by day. Um, we have some stuff that we need to go through tomorrow, um, give him the information, and also kind of um, give him time and kind of, you know, evaluate this properly and see where it goes. I think the criteria is when, when he feels good, he feels ready, and when we feel he's in a good spot to go out there and perform at a high level, then that time, that'll be the time. Being around him for two years, like his springs are always a little bit slower. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just him, it's most guys. So um, this is a spring training. Uh, he did a lot of work um, earlier, but, you know, he still is ramping up. And, you know, it's, it, it takes a little bit of time. Plus, there's also different levels with the adrenaline of the ability game that we also are factoring in and thinking about. But, it, it, you know, we want to make sure uh, we give him enough time to really hit his stride and be out there we're talking to our medical team about everything and they've talked a lot to a lot of specialists and, and, and getting all the information but I mean I think it's just a lot of it's how, how he's doing how he's feeling and, and, and just kind of going day by day with that so a little unclear when he'll be activated not quite ready yet maybe the velocity's not there just the sharpness um, the recovery like it's just not all there just yet for Liam Hendricks I don't think it's anything to be concerned about this was always going to be an imperfect process returning from cancer isn't isn't the same as returning from from an an injury where you can sort of predict the date and all that stuff so um it's probably gonna be a little bit longer it'll be nice if he could have been activated this weekend um and and be in there with the home crowd we'll see we'll see let's uh, there's no reason to speculate be ready when he's ready but uh you think about the boost that crochet and liam hendricks if they're near or get to their top of their game in short order um, along with the way Joe Kelly's pitching, as long as he continues, we saw Graveman with a good outing like that. That could turn into a strength. Who knows? 312-332-3776. Because it definitely was not a strength early on, right? Where Ronaldo Lopez was thrown into the fire. I mean, really, every high leverage situation. And there were moments where he looked good, but he just he, he doesn't have the experience there, and he gave it up a bunch. Now you can you can push him back a little bit with these other guys coming back. And, and, and not have to give all that pressure onto his shoulders or put all that pressure on his shoulders, I should say. Uh, let's go to JR in Kenosha. JR, you're on ESPN 1000 and the White Sox Radio Network. It's White Sox Weekly. What's up? I just want to say uh, uh, thanks for having me on, on uh, taking my call because I was, I was in agreement with what you were saying a minute ago about what, what it takes to get back in the division as when these relievers come back, 
we'll be able to uh, have some strength in the bullpen and, and move Lopez around like you said. And we also, I, I believe we got three good starters that can that can handle their own business and their pitching when, when it comes to Giolito, Kopech, and Cease. And then if you put uh, our, the, the, the dream lineup I'm looking for for, for us in a, uh, when everybody get healthy would be Anderson, Vaughn, Robert, uh, 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 Jimenez, Eloy. yeah, yeah Eloy Jimenez, uh, uh, Machado, and then maybe uh, si- that uh, catch a silver or either uh, uh, um, what's his Grandel. name, Grandel, um, Grandel, right? And then, right. and then to put Burger and Sheets at the bottom, and it's gonna be lights out. Could be. I mean, it hasn't really been lights out for a while, but I guess we haven't seen them healthy for a while. I mean, when Eli comes back, you just have to cross your finger. Nobody else goes down. I mean, can you imagine finally, finally, finally seeing this lineup at, at its full health and, and it, with the addition of Burger and, That's and what sort I'm of saying. A, yeah, from top to bottom is 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 uh, you can't pitch around nobody. Yeah, so maybe that the Sox can get back in into the division race if they're healthy, which is something we've it's, said for three years. Right. The deadline can get stay healthy and play for a stretch about at least a, a good. 30 to 40 games, man, we, we might have something, something, to work, something to work with. Because we owe Cleveland. So I, I, I'm so they should, have, they should be inspired for the fact that Cleveland Indians came here and uh, uh, swept us in our own house, took a picture with, uh, with uh, 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 jailhouse uniforms on in our own house, and disrespected us. They should be on the top of our list to whoop they natural-born ass. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, good stuff. Jesse Rogers with you on White Sox Weekly. 312-332-3776 is the number. Join us tomorrow for Family Sundays presented by Coca-Cola at Guaranteed Rate Field. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Tickets start at just $10. Visit whitesox.com slash Sunday to purchase your tickets today. We'll take more of your phone calls on what the Sox need to do to get back in the division race. Division race. Okay, uh, Fangraph says they have a 4% chance of winning the division. The Twins at 75%. I don't know how they come up with these numbers. Um, I mean, I, I, it's a def- definitely a long shot. There's no doubt. But 7.5 out in May um, feels like you could have a better than 4% chance. But, of course, their run differential doesn't necessarily say that. Their, their season-long statistics doesn't necessarily tell you that. Their record doesn't necessarily tell you that. But... It is only seven and a half, and it is the AL Central, right? And the top team is only 24 and 21. So I feel like it's still kind of wide open, at least for the top four teams. I mean, I don't think Kansas City can win it, but, and I, I mean, I, it's a long shot for the White Sox. Just let's, let's face it, but you got you to gotta go day to day, no doubt about it. 312 332 3776, the number you can tweet me at Jesse Rogers ESPN. We'll talk to James Fegan from The Athletic coming up. We'll, Find out exactly why uh, Gavin Sheets was scratched. I want to stress that he was scratched today so I don't get angry callers like I heard the other day when he didn't start against a lefty and people thinking, like, that's the reason they lost against the the Guardians because Gavin Sheets, who doesn't hit lefties, who doesn't play against lefties, didn't start. I heard multiple callers, and I made fun of them on Waddle and Sylvie's show. Yes, I did. I'll admit it because – that was meaningless. In fact, if he had started, I think you should have called and complained because his numbers against lefties, and it's not a, a large sample size, aren't very good. 
So it was weird to hear callers complain that he wasn't starting against the lefty. Now he got a little injured. We'll talk to James Fegan about that as well. Jesse Rogers with you on White Sox Weekly. This is the White Sox Radio Network. James Fegan from The Athletic joins me at 1145. This is White Sox Weekly, hour one done. We've got another hour left in the show before we go to the pregame show with Jeff Meller. Play-by-play by Connor McKnight and your color analyst today, of course, Darren Jackson. That's all coming your way at 1230. 312-332-3776 is the number. Um, that last caller I had before the break had me thinking. I mean, this is this is dreaming in a sense, right? Because this team just hasn't been healthy in a long, long time. But they're really just down Eloy Jimenez, right? Um, Elvis Andrews out of the lineup. But, but you know, of, of the key guys that have often been injured, it's Eloy Jimenez. If and when, not if, but when he comes back, if everyone's healthy, how does this thing shake out exactly? You have to, at this point, you have to keep Jake Berger in the lineup. Now, if somebody gets cold, of sort of the non-core guys, of course you can you can push them to the side. But right now, Jake Berger has to be in the lineup. Yohan Moncada is the better third baseman, and he is still hitting 317. He needs to be in the lineup as much as possible. Now, you'll mix and match and get, get uh, Moncada off his feet day game after night game like they did the other day, and Robert, same thing. Like th- th- There's places to sit, guys, but when you need your full lineup, how does this work with Aloy and Berger and Moncada? I mean, it's a good problem to have, but we got to figure this thing out. I mean, one of them's going to have to sit every day, right? You don't want Berger. I mean, this guy's got 10 home runs in 86 at-bats. But you can't really sit Mankata that much. Not this year. The last year I would have sat him. Not this year. So how does this work with those three guys? You know, you have the DH. One of them at the H. You have one of them at third, but... You know, Aloy's there too. Do you stick Aloy in right field more often? Is that the answer? And you mix and match, you know, the tough righty, you, you put Sheets in, in, in right, and Aloy at DH, and you sit Berger. Like, how does this work in your opinion? It's a good problem to have, but you got to get these guys the right amount of the bats. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. So how's that rotation work? You do have right field to play with, but man, I would not be putting a lawyer menace out right very often. So it's really, it's a, it's some sort of weird rotation there with Mankata and Berger at third sheets and right, except in those moments where you want all of them in the lineup and, and you do put a in right field, but I just, I don't feel comfortable putting him in right. Speaking of Aloy Jimenez, recovering from that epidectomy, let's listen to what he had to say on how he feels now and, and when he might be back. Here's Aloy. How are you feeling? Feel good. Yeah. Feel really good. How do you feel compared to a couple weeks ago? <laughs> well, a couple weeks ago, I thought I was going to die, so I feel really good. <laughs> Just real bad pain on your side? or? Yeah, it was really, really bad. But now, now I feel good. Just kind of take us on through what happened. When did you start feeling the pain and stuff that happened after that? Well, just 7 a.m. I wake up throwing up uh, and my my ass uh, hurt. Um, and it was bad. 
uh, I can ever see or lay down or stand up. Uh, it was it was really bad for a moment. I really thought I was gonna die, but uh, now I'm here and I feel good. I think I'm gonna be back quicker um, than than what they say. Uh, feel really good. Feel really comfortable, and everything going well right now. Start hitting pretty soon, maybe the end of the week or maybe. <laughs> want to? Yeah, I want to do it right now, but you know, uh, it's a process and. This couple of boxes that I need to check first. I mean, that's kind of scary. He said several times he felt like he was going to die. Now, I've never had my a problem with my appendix, thank God. But, boy, maybe some of you out there have. I, I, I've never heard it described that way. Um, maybe I just haven't heard people talk about it, right? Because you just don't, it just doesn't happen all the time. But, boy, that, that's, that's scary stuff. So, Hopefully he's back as soon as he can be, but not too soon. You know, I mean, don't rush yourself back after 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 what went on with him. But that's Aloy Jimenez talking about um, the issues he had and, and his his uh, return. Felt like he was going to die. That's scary stuff. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Let's go to Sam and Displains. You're on ESPN one thousand and White Sox Weekly. What's happening? Hey, how we doing? Um, just talking about some White Sox rotational stuff. I was thinking why. Can we not put Jake Berger over at two when Moncada's clearly shown that he can be a better third baseman? Uh, Sheets is playing better ball when he's getting consistent at bats and right. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking putting Berger at two would, I think, fix a lot of issues. You know, Elvis Andrews isn't the end-all, be-all at two. I don't know. Just something I've thought about. Uh, I'll hang up and listen. Thanks for talking. Yeah, no, that's an interesting concept. In the old days, meaning last year when they had the shift, it would be um, probably more of a debate or conversation because you can help them over there. Uh, I just don't know if you could put Jake Berger at second without the shift and everybody on the infield dirt and all that stuff. And Andrews is pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a middle infielder for his career, he, he, and he's looked good at second base. But I don't disagree. You want Berger's bat in there more than Andrews. I'll ask James Fegan that. I feel like it's come up. Maybe it came up last year when when they were talking about keeping Berger and Mankata in the lineup together and Grandel was DHing a lot. And I think it may have come up last year. I can't remember. I feel like there's been a conversation within the White Sox or, you know, LaRusso, whatever, Han last year. I don't know if it's come up this year, but I'll, I'll ask James Fegan, who covers the, the, the team on a daily basis, about that as well. But I, I like the idea of trying to get them all in the lineup and keeping Aloy as the DH. I just don't like Aloy playing the field all that much. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know if you can have a defense up the middle of, of Tim Anderson and, and Berger. I just don't think that, that that's possible without the shift. Uh, but I'll ask James Fegan about that from The Athletic coming up in just a few minutes. 312-332-3776 is the number. This is White Sox Weekly on the White Sox Radio Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Jesse Rogers here filling in for Connor McKnight. I'll have the play-by-play of the game. About an hour and uh, 20 minutes from now, Jeff Mello will have the pregame show at 1230. Learn from the pros this summer at a White Sox summer camp presented by Wintrust. Starting at $159, kids ages 5 through 12 can register for a camp at any of our 45 locations throughout the Chicagoland area. To learn more, visit 
whitesocks.com slash play. All right, 312-332-3776. Again, the phone number. You can tweet me at Jesse Rogers ESPN. Let's head out to uh, the phone lines and our guest for this hour. It's James Fegan from The Athletic who wrote a story last night, headlined White Sox Michael Kopech has everything working in career best performance. He certainly did, James. Thanks for joining me this morning. I guess the first question would be, what impressed you the most, considering you've seen and been around basically every start of his career? Uh, he probably started with saying no walk, so that, that definitely jumps out. Um, you know, the, the fact that he had his slider really kind of hammered a lot of the season, it seemed like he really found one. He went away from that trendy kind of sweeper pitch to, to something that was really kind of hard and short. That tunneled well as a fastball, but more than anything, he could actually command it and throw it for strikes. And, you know, after watching him kind of struggle with his velocity up all spring to see him sit upper 90s all all, all night and be able to really, you know, be consistent mechanically to, to have his top velocity. Uh, I know you asked for one thing. I just listed four, but that was, that was the kind of night he was having. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you, you wrote about the slider. I, I think you, you and Pedro were having a conversation about the slider pregame, if I recall. But it really was that fastball that, that set everything up. I mean, you can have the good slider, but if you don't have the fastball, I mean, in Kopech's case, I mean, if Cease has his good slider, he doesn't need anything else. If Kopech has his great fastball, he doesn't need much else. Of course, you got you have to have a little bit something. But was it, was it mechanical tweaks that kind of gave a little bit more life to that fastball? I think so. Uh, I mean, as you're right, with Kopech, it's almost just throw enough off speed so that the fastball plays as much as it should. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, you know, he's talking to Ethan Katz. It was, it was really about he can't get into his front side too early. He can't kind of drop on that end and, and start, you know, falling down uh, toward the mound too early because then he takes some of the, the leverage and the force that he has in the back leg away from him. So it was kind of a, a mechanical key that he had to stick with. Oh, uh, you've seen it really kind of. You know, even when he struggled, he hit nearly 100 in an otherwise kind of difficult start against the Rays uh, last month. He, he's had the upper 90s band pretty consistently uh, over the last month. So once he kind of got himself in the zone, the power has been in that pitch to, to play up the way it did last night. Obviously against a bad offense, but you know, it's still the, it's been a weapon that he's had consistently, at least from a physical standpoint, uh, for the last several weeks, I would say. James Fagan from The Athletic joining me here on White Sox Weekly. So let's go a little bit bigger picture. What I think I learned over the last week, just kind of very simple, is that Michael Kopech and Lance Lynn still have something in the tank. Now, when I say still have, I mean, Kopech should have a lot in the tank. Uh, Lynn is maybe nearing the end of his career, but my point is they at least showed us they can twirl some good outings. Uh, They proved that just in their last ones. But can they do it consistently? I don't know. Can the five man rotation do it consistently i don't know do you see any signs that maybe this was a six-week ex- extended spring training for this starting staff is there are there any signs of consistency coming with these guys i talked to lynn the other day and yeah his last start was against the guardian team that's also one of the worst offenses in the league yeah. and that night didn't have ramirez or nailer i think he left <laughs> early in that game but you know, talking to him after he said like that's the best i've felt at least mechanically and physically in my leg since the surgery which is, you know, big talk because he had a pretty good second half last year and it seemed like he had gotten, gotten himself right. But he felt, felt like he still had mechanical bad habits, that he was still kind of 
spinning off and cross-firing and wasn't straight to the plate, wasn't trusting his legs uh, to be strong like the way they were before he had to go under the knife. So for him to say that, I thought that was meaningful. He didn't think it was a finished product. He still thinks a lot of work to do. Uh, he also even offered that him looking good at WBC was more about hitters being off timing than him being really sharp. But <laughs> if he's saying he's feeling better now and that, that, that this is a meaningful milestone to him and he sees the action on his pitches returning – yeah, that's meaningful. He's not going to, you know, face the Guardians every night. But if he's feeling like he's he's back to himself uh, physically, at least to where he was a couple of years ago, that was a really good pitcher. Even if he's a guy who's obviously long in the tooth, and we don't know how much how much longer he has left, just because you know how many guys pitch into their 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 high thirties, early forties. But you know, if he's saying he's kind of a little bit breakthrough, that's something worth watching a little bit. And and Cease is seems to be taking the right steps to sort of getting back to dominant Cease. He's not quite there yet. But um, the trend is better. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I talked to him as well. He, he said uh, he thinks he's about 75% of the way there. He thinks he's got 25% uh, left of getting back to the ceiling of what he can be. He's been working all year, kind of staying closed in his delivery. He's been opening up his front shoulder, which he thinks more than anything has kind of given hitters a longer look and being able to uh, lay off some of his fighters a bit more than we were used to seeing last season. But the last two starts have been progress, maybe not breakthroughs, but he, he thinks he's on track and he thinks there's a lot left he can still untap. So uh, if that's the case, that's, that's huge for him. They, they, this is not an offense that's been super consistent. They need these guys on the top of rotation giving him nights like last night where there's just you know, any offense at all gives him a W. Yeah, for sure. Visiting with James Fegan from The Athletic on White Sox Weekly. Um, I had a caller, and I mean, it, it's, it's, it's pie-in-the-sky dreaming right now that <laughs> to think this offense can be healthy for a period of time, but let's say Eloy comes back and they are healthy. Uh, have you thought about how, how they would deploy um, uh, Berger, Moncada, and Jimenez? Would we have to see Jimenez more in right field? That's, that's dangerous. I'm sure you agree with that. But uh, so, uh, is there any thought that Berger could play some second base, or would that be impossible without the shift? They've said it, you know, it's a pretty much a non-starter without the shift. And you know, watching what the second base has to do this year, I, I think it'd be pretty tacked on him. Um, you know, Griffol has you know made it pretty clear that Berger's hit his way to have a spot here. He's going to have a role uh, right now. It's easy to put him DH, but you know, I think it's clear that um, you know Eloy is going to place him right field when he comes back. And, and Pedro has said as much. Uh, it, it's easy right now when they're facing left-handers to say like, all right, Jake DH, Gavin fifth, and and Eloy's out there in right field, but the, the big question is whether it's right-handers, what you do. I think Jake's proven that he's pretty viable against that. Um, that's typically where you give scavenge sheet starts, but I think Eloy takes priority over both of them in terms of how the White Sox see it. And it's a question of putting uh, Berger and Sheets' playing time uh, at odds with each other a little bit more. And, you know, I, I'd probably lean Berger right now, but I know they kind of want to involve both, but Again, we're talking about the White Sox. Usually these situations with too many healthy players yes, resolve themselves right. pretty quickly uh, before <laughs> any trauma really ensues. Yeah, like, well, today, you know, well, not I, not that Sheets is in the mix in those guys, but, like, today something popped up with Sheets. What, what did Pedro uh, Grafal say? It's a little wrist thing? Well, basically when he drifted off the second base last night and got, you know, thrown out, he was rushing back and he jammed his right wrist trying to slide back into second. So he's, he's terminated his minor. Obviously we've seen wrist especially with hitters, linger uh, you know, a day or two. But Pedro's at least trying to put it positive and saying, like, maybe even Sheets could pinch hit today. I think it's more likely if they had a pinch hitter, you have Monte Grandal, who's supposed to play tomorrow and is supposed to be good to go, would be the guy. But um, I think they're just trying to minimize concern and say, like, hey, this, uh, yeah, this is well, he, like- he can play today. 
Right, right. I like what they're doing with Grandel. I know he's he's banged up a little bit, but I, I like the the combo. Savala has proven himself now. He's no longer just some young, you know what I mean? Like he's established, and I think get Grandel off your feet. You know, he's a little banged up, but in general, you keep that bat a little fresh. You know what I mean? I like that combination of Savala and Grandel in the playing time at this point. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely pitchers love Zavala. I mean, I think Giolito has worked with Zavala all the one start this year. The, the one start was the, the blow-up start in Pittsburgh, so there's a lot of rapport they can lean to. I, I think he's definitely the, the mold of backup catcher where you kind of put him in the ninth slot and just know that the defense will be on point, uh, which is kind of his, his reputation at this point this season. But, you know, Grudal, I, I, thought, uh, I thought everyone was kind of going too too, too uh, over the top of how much the shift fan, which opened things up, but it's turned Yasmani Grandal into a 300 hitter. So uh, <laughs> maybe we can't underestimate it at all. Yeah, unfortunately, Kyle Schwarber is a 175 hitter without the shift. So who knows? Like it's just rhyming. Who knows what 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 uh, will make the right. difference for a certain hitter? Uh, James Fegan from the Athletic for another couple minutes. James, let's look at some big picture. Okay, let's be realistic. It, 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 like I've been saying on the show, Fangraph says four percent chance of making the playoffs. If they don't, if they're far out of it in July, um, Rickon and Kenny Williams have to think about moving on from some players. It's just how it works. Um, but I do think it would be a retool, not a blow-it-up situation, uh, meaning only the guys that are pending free agents would be on the move. So my, I have two questions, two-part question. Do you agree with that? Would only be the pending free agents, but but also there's a couple pending free agents that have options. So there's, those are sort of in-between questions, right? Um, if things don't go well, we know Giolito would be on the block. I think you would agree. But with Tim Anderson and potentially Liam Hendricks be on the block, not many teams start trade for starting shortstops unless there's a major injury. But I still think you have to ex- at least examine it, especially when it comes to Liam Hendricks. So give me your overall take on all that as as the trade deadline is still way a, a ways away. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is a team that kind of you know went kicking and screaming into the rebuild, you know, was it six years ago now? I don't, I don't think they'd rush into one. I don't think Jerry is, is primed up to, to overhaul everything and, and start from scratch again. That, that seems unlikely. And uh, I, I think they certainly have to listen on, on Tim uh, because it would be, you know, it, it's where you're going to get this big offer where you can really restock your farm system. It's where you're going to have suitors like the Dodgers involved. Um, it, you know, it, it's going to be too enticing of a proposition just from a value perspective to just close yourself off to it. But at the same time, if you do move them out, this has basically been your franchise player. Is that setting you back too much that you can't retool? I think if you had a healthy season from Colson Montgomery and it looked like he was knocking on the door to be your new shortstop, maybe that changes the equation a little bit. But now he's at a point right now he's missed all the season with a back issue. You don't know how much he's going to play. You're hopefully he can make up time in the AFL. I don't think you're necessarily going to see him at AAA and say, like, hey, maybe this guy is ready to take over the spot and we can think about life after Tim in a big way. You might be setting how much you can compete in 2020, 2024, a little too far back. You start moving pieces like that. Liam Hendricks, maybe it's just so up in the air because I don't know when he's going to pitch or what he's going to look like at this point. So I, I don't know how, what the market would be for him. I think guys like with an option like Joe Kelly, I think is, it would probably be someone I'd put in that group of, yeah, definitely he could be moved because, one, he's just throwing so well right now. He'd be such a major piece. This is probably the best point you can get value. And I think, if anything, that option year would, would uh, sweeten the offers that you get. So you're offering teams a little bit of extra control for a guy who looks like he's you know, at the top of his game at the moment. 
Yeah, at the moment, that's the problem though with relievers. Uh, the trade deadline's so far off that it could it could it could change. I mean, I'm sure Rick Hahn would love to see him pitching this way in July because that's that, that's what teams look at. Like it really is about July when it comes to like relievers, especially not as much with hitters, I guess. But you need to be kind of hot at the time of uh, near the trade deadline. But yeah, Kelly would. But you know, closers are so valuable at the end of July. I mean, it's a big assumption that he comes back and he's great and. The White Sox are willing to trade him during this, during this, you know, coming back from what he did. But in a normal year, Liam Hendricks would absolutely be on the block. But of course, in a normal year, maybe he would have helped this bullpen, and they wouldn't be twelve under five hundred, right, James? Right. Uh, you know, a, a normal year, I think, is it's a definite consideration. That I, I think it'd be a little bit of a odd footnote to the best comeback story of uh, ever. Yeah. He was traded a couple of weeks <laughs> later because the team was ten games under. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that they're only want to, they only want to retool most likely means they need them for next year anyway, right? At at, a, at an okay price, they could use the closer if they want to compete next year. So I, I agree with you. It's probably doubtful he's moved. James, thanks for the time. We will continue to read you in the athletic. Great uh, wrap up of uh, Kopex outing last night. Appreciate the time. Appreciate you having me. You got it. That's James Vegan from the Athletic. I'm Jesse Rogers right here on White Sox Weekly. Let's pause ten seconds for station ID. All right. Before we break, let's open up the phone lines. Uh, we're guest-free for the final half hour of White Sox Weekly. I know a lot of you are driving to the park. If you want to sound off on anything that uh, James Fegan had to say, I had Jake Berger on earlier. Maybe you heard him. Talk to Connor McKnight in the first hour. If you want to talk about any of that stuff, feel free, 312-332-3776. I want you to also fill in this, this uh, sort of saying here. The Sox can get back in the division race if you fill in the blank there. And anything else you want to talk about with this team? It's White Sox Weekly. We do this once a week. We only talk White Sox for two hours. We can talk about the division as well, of course. But this is your chance to talk about it. A little bit better play lately. A little bit better. They still have to show us a little bit more to really believe that they can get back in this thing. 312-332-3776. Final half hour of White Sox Weekly coming up next. Jesse Rogers with you on the White Sox Radio Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Sox fans, join us June 4th for Yoga Day at the park presented by Guaranteed Great before the Sox take on the Tigers at 1.10 p.m. Each $50 ticket package includes pregame instructed yoga on the field, a game ticket, and a co-branded athletic towel. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash yoga. I'm sure our executive producer, Brendan Riley, will be on the field for a little yoga on June 4th. I can't wait to see that. 312-332-3776 is the phone number. Let's uh, get the phone lines going here. Last half hour of White Sox Weekly is all yours. Although we will replay a little bit of Michael Kopech's interview with Steve Stone and Jason Benetti on NBC Sports Chicago last night. I did it at the beginning of the show. I want to do it here at the end. I thought it was a good interview it really was as much about the mental aspect of the game for Kopech as, as it is his arm and the physical stuff, which has always been the case for him. It's the case for a lot of players in this game, especially pitchers, um, but hitters too. The mental part is, is just equal to the physical part. I want to play that for you after that magnificent eight shutout innings of one hit ball by Kopech last night, the best start of the year and certainly one of his best of his career, if not the best. So we'll, we'll, we'll replay some of that. But I want to get to the phone lines. Anything on your mind? White Sox Weekly, this is your show. 312-332-3776. Owen in Willowbrook, you're next up. What's happening, pal? Hi, Jesse. Uh, yes, question. What do the Sox have to do to get back in the race? And um, 
I like your fact about they didn't they haven't been walking guys, but the other things I think they have to do improve situational hitting and catch the ball. And I think the way this roster is built, if they're healthy, they got too many DH type players. Right. And I actually think the Sox in two thousand and four they made a big decision and traded Carlos Lee, who would pound the ball, not a great outfielder, and they got to Sudnick. And I think this team needs to do something like that. And they're going to have to look at guys like, well, Grandel's going to be gone. You're going to have to look at Sheets, Berger, Jimenez, and maybe package him with a Lopez to get a second baseman who can get on base with Anderson because you, ever, you know as Anderson gets on, the Sox, the Sox usually do well when Anderson's in the game. So if you get a guy that, that can be a top-of-the-order guy at second base and, and package somebody like that, and I hate to say it, but I think getting a guy back from the Cubs like Madrigal and maybe the Cubs throwing a Gomes and prove a catcher, if we move those guys, I don't know if the Cubs would be willing to do that to improve their bullpen, but I think they have to do something like that to let one of them go to improve at second base to improve their situational hitting and defense. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I almost wish they could do it in season here. It sounds like you're talking about the off season. I kind of wish they could do it before the deadline. It's not unheard of to sort of uh, you know, make a trade that helps both teams for this year, right? Most of the time, the trade in July is a seller, right, that is not contending to a buyer that is contending. But if the Sox are kind of within five, six games at least, you know, maybe you can retool it to a to a other team that still is in the race. Is that does that make sense? Because you're right, there there probably is when healthy, which they never are, a little redundancy with these DH types. Maybe you could trade one of them for more of a defensive player at second or defensive player in right field. So I, I'm with you. What do you think about that? Doing it in season? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think it'd be nice if they can do it in season because yeah. you know the the division's weak. And they may not, you know, they're they're behind and they got some makeup to do. I mean, they're still three games behind um, third place, I think. But yeah, I mean, you got to do it a little at a time. But I mean, that's the. I think if you can pull it off in season, the division's weak. I think now's the time to strike. I don't know if Han will pull the trigger. I don't have a faith, a lot of faith in Han to be honest with you. But I think that would be the move to do something like that. Yeah, I, I agree, and I can understand not having all that faith, Owen, because and he he would admit it. He it was a nice moment in time where this rebuild was working, but that, but then it stalled, and he's the head of the guy, you know, head of he's in charge of the rebuild, and if it stalls, it's on him as much as it is anyone else. But there certainly is enough blame to go around if this thing doesn't work, this rebuild doesn't work. Let's go to one of our favorites, Ron on the South Side. What's happening, Ron? Hey, yes, always a pleasure talking to you and listening to you. Uh, real quick, uh, you got to get Tim Anderson going. Jesse, I heard, I believe, yesterday that Tim Anderson has not hit a home run since last May. Now, now we're not saying that he's a bigger, but just overall, you, he, I mean, a little more offense, his RBIs are down, and he's in that number one spot. But got to get in and, and defensively. But more importantly, you were talking about, man, that was a performance by. Uh, Michael Kopech. Uh So you have to get that star pitching. And uh, Lafoe did say it, that he believed that the strength of this team would be pitching. So uh, I, I think, Jesse, the offense will be pretty good. And it goes without saying we mentioned pitching. You have to play a little better defense. But I think, really, uh, starting pitching, you know what, Jesse, I was uh, thinking back on the 83 season. 
when the so- the Sox were actually five games under five hundred or more a day, uh, and they just caught fire uh, in the second half, and it was mainly their three um, pitches went thirty five and five. Um, that, that 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 set the tone for them. So that's it. I'm just trying to be optimistic that they can get some uh, good pitching going, and uh, they should kind of hopefully get back in. Yeah, it, it, I, I said it all, yes. Ron. I said it all last year. That was the way out of it last year. Starting pitching. It's the way out of it this year. Even more than the bullpen, the starting pitching has to take charge. The offense. Most offenses are up and down in this day and age, right, with, with so many good pitchers. There's a few that are consistent, but their way out of this mess is not their offense. It's through, their, through the pitching and through those five starters. That's it, Ron. You know, that's, there's no other way to say it. You, that's the way to win, a game, win games and go on a run. All right, thanks for the call, Ron, as always. And I don't disagree, obviously, with your premise about their offense in terms of Tim Anderson. Um, 254 batting average, 292 on base. 298 slugging, 590 OPS, 63 OPS plus. This is a guy that hit 304 seasons in a row. You have to imagine he will get better in that area. Uh, I don't care about the power. Don't care about Tim Anderson's power. He's a leadoff hitter. He gets on base a lot more. This will That will help this offense. Um, sometimes I feel like maybe he takes his offense to his defense, like we saw this week a little bit, right? Um, I don't know if that's the case. Who can Who can necessarily prove that? But um, he's got to get going back to right field, doing the things Tim Anderson does best. I have faith he will after hitting, again, 300 in four consecutive seasons. So uh, that, that would be a huge plus for this offense to get a little bit more consistent. Let's go to Tim in Munster, Indiana. Tim, you're on ESPN 1000, the White Sox Radio Network, and White Sox Weekly. Hey, Jesse, I always appreciate your work. It's the first time I got a chance to talk to you. Uh, thanks, but Al. I've got a few thoughts. i got to thanks. Uh, you're welcome. I have a few thoughts on the Sox uh, and what they what they need to do. Even if this team could win the division, this team is just not good enough to get to the playoffs, and they're not going to make any big moves or big splashes. Uh, I believe it, you know, before the trade deadline, uh, kind of like Atlanta did last year. So I think you really have to look at this window with some of the players that you do have under control and start trading some of the duplicate base pieces and do it sooner than later. In other words, Giolito, you've talked about him. Yes, absolutely. If Lynn keeps pitching well, maybe at the deadline you can move him. Grandal, I would put on the uh, injured reserve right now, get him healthy. He's a left-handed or switching catcher. Uh, again, somebody might need that at the deadline. And uh, you look at Sheets. He's a duplicate player. like the guy. love him. But um, he's just probably not an everyday right fielder. And they've got DH tied up, with, quite honestly, with Eloy, that they're not going to be able to move even in the offseason because of all the injury history. So you got to keep Berger around because you're only going to keep Mancata for one more year. You can't trade him next year because of his contract. The White Sox missed the trade market in 21 and 22, quite honestly. If you look at the free agent list, it's horrible. So they're going to have to do this through trades. So what do you got to do? You've got to bring in some tradable people that you gather from other teams because we don't have the farm system to make some moves in the off season. So you can still retool this team for 2024 and 2025, but they've got to, they've got to do something right now. Uh, those are great. Those are great points. They really are, Tim. I, I think you're right. I, th- no one has an appetite to blow it up unless they change the front office. Then, then a new front office might. Uh, and I agree with you. They really aren't going to give out any prospects because they don't have that many anyway. And the redundancy allows them to say, "Hey, we got to move somebody." And I don't know. It might be Berger. It might. It might be Sheets. It might be. Monk. I don't know. 
there, there's all sorts of pieces to this thing. But I think the premise of what you're saying is correct. You change the dynamic in there. You change the makeup in there a little bit. Um, maybe you get a little bit more defensive, even though you give up potentially some power because of the redundancy you're talking about, Tim. I think you're on to something, and you absolutely have to move the pending free agents because you got to get something back to help the farm a little bit, if not major league pace pieces, it, it, to, to help you now and in the near future. Yeah, I, th- we I think did nothing, yeah. we did nothing with Rodon. Um, you know, we did nothing. You know, with uh, some of the other guys that have been. You know, we, we watched Abreu walk out the door. I begged for them to trade Abreu when we weren't. We were not going to come back last year. That would have been a move that you could have got something because he was red hot in August and September. So yep. you got to do something. Yep, good call, Tim. Good call. Uh, and that's where Raycon scouts, starting in June, really have to fan out major league scouts, the guys that look at the minor leagues, and um, they they'll if they're out of it in July, they need to rework this thing. But it's not going to be easy because you're not going to blow it up. And you have major decisions on on contract options. I mean, Liam Hendricks and Tim Anderson are affordable, but they could be trade options. Like, you got to look at everything. It's a complicated puzzle when you're trying to retool. It's easier when you blow it up. You just, like they did the first time. You just trade anybody and everybody. Chris Sale, okay, go. You know, and, and you, you get back as much as you can. But when you're trying to retool on the fly, much more difficult. 312-332-3776 is the number. A couple lines have opened up. Feel free to jump on, um, finish this, this statement. The Sox can get back in the division race if what has to happen. Give me a ring on that. and We'll play some Kopech when we come back as well. He was fantastic last night, and I thought he gave a great interview with Benetti and Stone as well. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000 and the White Sox Radio Network. Everything you need for your outdoor fun. More importantly, it's the quality of the products we sell, and our product experts can answer any of your questions. And right now, during our Memorial Day sale, you can save up to 50% and get 0% financing for 60 months, plus free delivery and our lowest price guarantee. See store for details. So come see us or visit us online. American Sale. Bring the fun home. Making it to the show requires skill, dedication, and years of hard work. But at ETI School of Skilled Trades, you can go pro in as little as seven months. Whether you're looking for a career in welding or HVAC, at ETI, you'll get hands-on training to master the skills employers are looking for fast. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. This is your call-up. Visit eticampus.edu or call 888-830-7678 to learn more. ETI, it's your future. Own it. Get everything for your automotive needs with 11% off at Menards. Pennzoil offers superior synthetic motor oil. It can get you better fuel economy and protects your engine to keep you on the road. Grab a five-quart jug of Pennzoil synthetic motor oil for just $15.99 after 11% rebate at Menards. Good through May 21st. Savings are a mail-in rebate. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Save big money at Menards. Carmen and Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago. All right, welcome back to White Sox Weekly. We are in the stretch run here. Jesse Rogers with you till 1230. And then Jeff Miller has the pregame show. Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson have the play-by-play for you. Game two, White Sox and Royals coming up at about 110. That's first pitch. And um, 
trying to win the series right off the bat here, just like they did against the Guardians, win those first two games, and then think about a sweep. If they get anything uh, like they did last night on the mound, they should get a victory out of this one because Kopech was amazing. Giolito's turn today. He'll face Jordan Lyles, who is definitely beatable with an 0-7 record. Well, let's go back to last night. Kopech, eight innings, one hit, 10 strikeouts, gave up just that one little single to Massey, fastball down inside the zone, and he, and he muscled it out to right field in the sixth. Uh, boy, he was rolling. Ended up getting out of that inning with a double play. Graveman had a 1-2-3 ninth. So the White Sox faced the minimum. Faced the minimum. One hit on the night for the Kansas City Royals as Kopech won his second of the game, a uh, second of the season, reduced his ERA to four point eight three, so still pretty high. But maybe, just maybe, he locked in and found something. He talked about it with Steve Stone and Jason Bedetti on NBC Sports Chicago last night. Give it a listen. I mean, it's a special one for for many reasons. You know, I've, I've had a I've had a rough start to the year, so this definitely helps me feel like I'm getting back on track. Um, but also, um, I, what, a standout start for me last year was around the same time, um, and that was because uh, my son was born a year ago tomorrow. Um, so I feel like, uh, you know, I, I was able to kind of refocus on things that are important to me, and, uh, you know, that, that's this game, that's my family, um, and not, not, let get, not let things get in the way. Um, you know, I, I, my last start, my last couple starts, I've been kind of getting... Uh, wound up and you know a lot of walks here and there so um, I, I feel like just kind of settling back in and getting back to what I do is where I'm at right now so I, I was comfortable with that one. Michael was there anything that told you in the bullpen before the game that you were going to carry wonderful stuff into the ball game? Uh, I mean Steve you know how those pregame pins are <laughs> so uh, I, I felt really good in pregame pins and I've thrown horribly and I've had really bad pregame pins and thrown great. Uh, today actually was a pretty good one so I was holding my breath but uh, I, I think I was able to kind of carry that out there today. Michael, you talk about being a dad, and I see how important it is to you as you talk about it. Why is being a dad so important to you? Um, it, it's a separator for this game. Uh, you know, I, I, I love coming to the ballpark and, you know, competing with my teammates. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the, there's something to go home to that's much bigger than all of this. And that's, that's my fiance. That's my children. Um, and to, to be able to have that and also be fortunate enough to play this game for a living, um, you know, I, I'm very blessed. Michael, remember one thing from this performance. It looked from up here like you were peaceful out on the mound tonight, that you had every emotion in your body under control from the beginning. You replicate that on a game-by-game -game basis, and you're going to be just fine. Yeah, I appreciate that, Steve. Uh, last thing. Uh, do you like when people talk to you during games like this? What was the process like as you were mowing down batters? Uh, I I tried to keep it as normal and as light as possible. So you know we, you know from from the first inning on, uh, Sebi and I were talking about game plan between innings, and we we continued that all the way through. So um, you know we don't want to make anything feel weird or uncomfortable like that. Um, so for for the most part, it felt like a normal game. You know, hard fought game, two zero. So. Uh, yeah. Good, good stuff from Kopech uh, with, with uh, uh, Jason Manetti and Steve Stone on NBC Sports Chicago after that masterful performance last night. Um, just great in innings of one-hit ball. And uh, you heard him talk about being a dad, and it's a separator. 
you know, you get away from the game and you, 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 you let it sort of be in the past, right? You're a bad, bad outing. You kind of put it in the past and you go home and you see your kids and you don't think about it. In my case, I get off the air. I see my kids. I want to get right back on the air. I want to get right back to work. I don't know what, the, what it is about my kids compared to his kids. They calm him down. Mine aggravate me. I, I don't know what to do, Brendan Riley. I, I, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's the opposite of a separator for me. Uh, of course, I'm only half kidding. Only a couple of them annoy me. 312-332-3776 is the number if you want to jump on. Here's a tweet from Scott Merkin from MLB.com. It's like they were listening to our show because we were talking about what exactly you do when Aloy comes back. I mean, it's still in, you know far enough away that maybe it'll work itself out. But if everyone is healthy, such a you know, capital IF on if, if everyone's healthy, um, where, where do you play Berger? Where do you where do you get these guys in the lineup? Where do you play Aloy? Well, here's Pedro Grafal, according to Scott Merkin's tweet, on Jake Berger possibly working in the outfield. Quote, I actually thought about that yesterday or the day before. We've talked a little bit about it. We're not there yet. Those are discussions you really have to put some minds together and see what's best, not just for him, but for us. So I like that conversation, at least, because – any conversation that doesn't involve Aloy playing right field is a good one in my mind. I have nothing against Aloy, but I think the better chance of keeping him healthy would be to leave him at DH. Um, now, Jake Berger's had leg injuries in the past. We all know that. So I'm not sure he's a 100% better option in right field than Aloy, but he's probably at least a little bit better of an option. Elvis Andrews is going to be due back soon. Would you put Jake Berger at second? Maybe in previous years when you had the shift and you could help him out there, but I'm not sure you want him there. Um, you know, I don't know if second would be good, would be better health wise for him than right. I, right might be better than second. I, I suppose there's less like stopping and starting and, and, and weird movements at, 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 in right than second, right? Trying to turn the double play. But I like the thinking of trying to keep Mankata, Berger, and Aloy in the lineup at the same time. Maybe we will see Berger and Wright. I'm not sure it's going to work out any better than Gavin Sheets and Wright, but at least have the conversation. But as James Fegan said to me, it, like, usually with the White Sox, these things work themselves out. That's the, that's the nice way of saying there's always an injury around the corner that will put a player on the shelf and then everyone else can play. But we are, we're, with Elvis kind of working his way back and Eli, like, they're as close to being completely healthy as ever. But again, they're one game away where someone goes down and, and you're not going to get Mankata, Illoy, and Jake Berger in the lineup at the same time. And if you do, it really is a lineup in, in a roster which should bash their way to, to wins more than win it defensively, right? It, 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 it's not like a lot of stolen base threats when all healthy. Um, not a great defensive out, uh, group when all healthy, but should be a very lengthy and powerful lineup which against certain pitchers is still not going to do well, right? But against other pitchers, they should put up some big numbers. So that's why I say even if everyone's healthy, I can't rely on the offense to, to get them into contention. It really has to be on the mound. It really has to be on the mound because there are a lot of sort of similar power type hitters in that lineup. So against certain pitchers, um, they're not going to have success. If you can, if you can, if a bunch of your hitters can be gotten out in similar ways, there are pitchers out there that will expose you. But then there's others that you're going to be able to just mash against. 
And those are the ones that they'll put up some crooked numbers against. In any way, in any case, I'd love to hear from you. Just final moments here, 312-332-3776. Do you think there's a way to get Berger and Aloy and Yohan Makata in the lineup that doesn't completely destroy your defense? Right? You can't completely destroy it. I guess that music means we're out of time, so I can't hear from you on that topic, but it's certainly one worth uh, talking about here on the radio in the coming days and weeks as Eloy heals up and just cross your fingers. Nobody else goes down. So we've run out of time on White Sox Weekly. Thank to Jake, thanks to Jake Cantu, Kevin Zipak, and, of course, our executive producer, Brendan Riley. We've got White Sox baseball coming up next. Jeff Miller with the pregame show. Connor McKnight, Darren Jackson with the call of the game coming up at 1.10 p.m. Again, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with two hours of White Sox Weekly right here on the White Sox Radio Network and ESPN 1000. So long, folks.